Welcome back to the Gridiron Gang Podcast. Week one, review and recap show. I'm Eli. I'm here with my co-host, Jesse. Yeah. And we're going to break everything down for you right now. And I'm going to start us off with Monday Night Football, New York Jets 22, Buffalo Bills 16. Crazy finish, overtime win, kick return for the win. But none of that even really matters, Jesse, because something happened, and it happened fast, and it happened in only four plays for the New York Jets. Yeah, Eli, and that's just the devastating reality is that uh, the New York Jets starting quarterback Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles on the fourth play and will miss the remainder of the season. And that's just absolutely devastating. Um, Can't imagine how New York Jets fans are feeling. You know, well, I'm, you heard it while watching. The, the stadium went quiet. It was deflated. The atmosphere before the game was insane. It was bouncing, electric. rocking. I don't think I've watched a Jets game in I don't know how many years. Not where in the our crowd, lifetime. Not not in our a, lifetime. Yeah, maybe never, where the crowd sounded like that. It's absolutely devastating. We're talking a legendary quarterback in this league, and we're talking an injury that at the time I don't think many people saw being a season ender and next thing you know you get the information that it's Achilles the Achilles is gone and yeah where do they go from here Jesse like how can we even break down this game past that well it's gonna be tough you know losing a player like that hard to replace but I do think the Jets showed yesterday in that gutsy win that they they do have well they did have a Super Bowl team with Aaron Rodgers um you know, now it's Zach Wilson's team. I don't really view them as Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, but Zach I... Wilson's not Aaron Rodgers, but guess what? He was good enough to come in, look stable. He had a very commendable performance. He turned the ball over early on that interception, but he settled in there. And yeah. he got the job done, and they got the win. And yeah. that's all that really matters in week exactly. one. Exactly. And they won with a complete team effort, um, all, all three phases of the ball. You know, they have a fantastic defense. Uh, special teams with that walk-off punt return. And offense, they have pieces. Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall in his return. Uh, he missed the Incredible. last seven games last year Incredible. with a torn ACL. Breaking had- <laughs> free for a massive 83-yard run. Brees Hall looked phenomenal. He looked electric. He looked like he hadn't lost a step. Not a guy who's coming off a giant injury for them. Yeah, he had 11 touches for 147 yards after a devastating knee injury. I mean, that's that's just explosive. Crazy production. And speaking of that defense, Jesse, I need to shout out right now Jordan Whitehead. Three interceptions, prime time. He's had three in his entire career beforehand. And I mean, I, I don't even know what else to say. I think you mentioned to me that he even reached uh incentive package already in week one like what a good feeling that is that's right he needed uh three interceptions on the year to get a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bonus amazing to achieve that in week one you know clap it up for him let's give him let's give him that golf clap shall we yeah absolutely and on the bill side of the ball i mean we got the full as you say josh allen experience yesterday i mean this dude i i don't even know what to make of it when i'm watching him sometimes it's like one second, he's making an incredible throw. He's hitting digs for a 40-yard catch. The next, he's throwing a ball up into double, triple coverage, getting picked off. Yeah. Crazy decision-making. Trying to hurdle people on a third and 12 when he's eight yards short of the line. <laughs> I mean, like, we're getting a crazy experience with this guy. This guy now leads the league in turnovers since coming into the NFL. I mean, I don't know, Jesse. What, what do you got to say about Josh Allen, man? It's, it's getting pretty wild out there watching him. I mean, he is a phenomenal talent, 
that's no question about that, but he really needs to start honing it in and stop taking such risks with the football. Um, I think since Dayball left Buffalo uh, to become head coach of the New York Giants that he's been just absolutely reckless with the football um, towards the top. I think he, he either led the league last year or is towards the top in turnovers. You know, to come out in week one on prime time in a big divisional game and have four turnovers and ultimately be the reason that your team blew a 10-point lead against a backup quarterback and lost the game, you know. You can't be having that, especially when you're getting, you know, $45, $46 million per year. Um, I don't think it's all on him, though. You know, the only really, the only real help he ever seems to get is Stephon Diggs. Uh, I really want them to add more pieces around, you know. I don't think Gabe Davis, he showed yesterday, I mean, he had a couple of big plays, but not enough. It's, it's all Allen and it's all Diggs, and... You know, that's just not enough to get the job done in the NFL. It really is not. And I want to mention on the defensive side of the ball, they did not make it easy for Josh Allen. Quincy, Quinn, and Williams, the brothers, they both played phenomenally on that defense. Quincy Williams, despite not getting a sack, he had nine tackles. He was flying all over the place. And, you know, it's it's a tough loss. It's a tough week one loss. We're not going to make any overreactions. Josh Allen, he doesn't need to be told by anyone. He's going to do what he can to protect that football. They got a big way to bounce back next week. And speaking of a big game next week, the New York Jets are taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Now with Zach Wilson leading the way, he has a chance to make a statement to not only himself, not only his teammates and his coach, but the Jets fan base to not lose hope yet. Let's see if he can do it next week. Let's see where they go from here. And let's see if Sauce Gardner can rebound from a tough week one. He's got C.D. Lamb coming. Uh, he had 68 snaps in Monday Night Football. Five targets, five receptions, 62 yards allowed, and 119 passer rating. And for the defending rookie of the year, first team All-Pro, that's no. not going to get it done. No. I'll just come out and say that. That's not good enough for someone who is so highly rated, who's supposed to be the number one Whoa. possibly in the whole league. So he's going to want to bounce back in a big way. Jets are want to keep some momentum rolling. Rodgers is out. Wilson's in. It's a big year now. Let's see what happens. And moving along, Jesse, I'm going to bring us right into the fireworks. I'm going to bring us right into the gun show because everyone loves offense, and I don't think you're going to find any more offense across the NFL than what we witnessed between the Miami Dolphins and the Los Angeles Chargers. This was a crazy, crazy football game. I had to double-check and make sure I wasn't watching Madden on a Twitch stream or something. I mean, Tua... 400 and whatever, 60-something yards. 66 yards. Oh, my goodness. Tyreek Hill, 211 with two touchdowns. I mean, we're talking video game numbers in real life, folks. Like, this was a just crazy, crazy game. Like, I don't even know where to start or what to make of it, but I think we saw two completely different football teams out there and it all began with Tua and Tyreek and on the Los Angeles side of the ball it was really Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly leading the way for that team it was just a wild wild game yeah it was uh two complete different game plans which is part of the reason why I think made the game so fun to watch you know the the Dolphins came in with just you know one of the fastest teams I think anybody has ever seen on the field uh Tyreek Hill uh, Raheem Mostart, Jalen Waddle, uh, Devonna Shane, you know, just freaks everywhere. Um, Speaking of speed, I just want to throw this in. Tyreek Hill, on both of his touchdown catches, reached 
a maximum speed of 21.5 miles per hour or higher, as well as Jalen Waddle reaching 21 miles per hour. This is this is serious speed we're talking about here. This is ridiculous stuff. I don't think I could pedal my bike 21 miles an hour, so that's some wild stuff right there, man. Yeah, it truly is. And then on the other side, you have the Chargers, you know, who had 234 rushing yards, uh, quite possibly the best running performance uh, since LaDamian Tomlinson retired from the NFL for the for the Chargers. Um, their O-line absolutely dominated in the trenches in the run game, Eli. Um, they were moving bodies backwards, you know. Austin Eckler, Joshua Kelly both had big-time games on the ground. Um, it's a bit surprising to me, though, to, to you know, pay uh, Justin Herbert all that money in the offseason and then kind of just go in with a ground-heavy attack. Uh, you know, they drafted Quinton Johnson round one, but they just really leaned on that run game. 41 rush attempts to only 33 pass attempts. And, I mean, in a, in a shootout, when else are you going to want Justin Herbert to throw that ball and open up the field? I mean, it it was a weird game to watch, to be completely honest with you. Um, what One thing I will take away from it, though, is I, I just don't know who the guy is on the receiving unit for this Chargers team. Like, we all know Keenan Allen is going to make plays. We all know Herbert loves going to him. But Mike Williams, a lot like Gabe Davis in Buffalo, he has these boom-bust games. He disappears for large portions of games. And I think they they, they got to find a way to be a little less predictable in the passing game and get people involved other than Keenan Allen, other than Austin Eckler. They got to find ways to utilize the real arm talent of Justin Herbert. I couldn't agree with you more, Eli. And also switching it over to the defensive side of the ball for the Chargers. Uh, with all the guys they're paying over there and with the defensive coach, um, it's just every year it's the same thing. It's a defense that's given up a ton of yards. It's given up a ton of points. Um, and I just, it's it's puzzling. I can't wrap my head around it. You know, they have... Uh, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack on the edges. They have J.C. Jackson, who's just been a terrible free agent signing for them. They have Derwin James. Uh, J.C. Jackson had a terrible, terrible pass interference penalty with two seconds left in the first half. Tua very much just throwing up the ball to whoever downfield. There's three chargers surrounding this ball, and J.C. Jackson inexplicably shoves the receiver in the back for no apparent reason setting up a field goal and I mean we're talking Miami winning 36-34 they ended up winning by only two points that field goal at the end of the half that never should have happened ended up being a possible deciding factor in this game couldn't agree with you more and uh also Vic Fangio's defense I do think you know they gave up uh 34 points they gave up uh 234 rushing yards they gave up 233 passing yards I believe um I do think that you know it'll take a bit of time uh for Vic Fangio to get his scheme in with those players you know it's a completely different defense it's a completely different scheme from what they were running last year he was out of the league last year so it is a little bit concerning you know he they're supposed to have a really good defense and and it didn't really look like it but I I just wanted to point that out I just want to give it a few weeks let's see if it continues to improve and we'll see where it's at in week four or five I will note however with all that being said, not the best numbers defensively. They stepped up when it mattered most. They got the job done. Herbert had two minutes to go. He had the two-minute drill. He had every opportunity to take them down the field and win that game. And when they needed the pressure, 
The pressure came. It came in a big way, forcing... All-out blitz. Yeah, all-out blitz. Send them all, fly at them, and force the pressure, and it worked. So at the end of the day, not the best performance from the defense, but it was enough for, for them to get the job done and get a massive week one win on the road in L.A. Okay, next up, Jesse, we're going to go and we're going to take it to Philadelphia versus the New England Patriots. This was a very tightly contested game. It ended 25-20 in favor of Philly. And I think this was a tale of two totally different games for the most part. Uh, the Patriots getting off to a very shaky start. Mac Jones throwing the pick six, 70-yard return by big play Slay as he goes by living up to the name. Um little bit unlucky on the pick six. It was deflected, and then the very next possession, we had uh, Ezekiel Elliott in his debut fumbling the ball at his own around the 30-yard line or so, and next thing you know, you blink, and you're down 17 points to Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, and that's without uh, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles offense doing much of anything during uh, what Eli just described. Uh, they were a little bit rusty all game, and uh, <clears throat> especially Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I think that that comes from not playing starters in the preseason. Um, probably will just take them a little bit of extra time to get going. But on the defensive side, you know, the, the Eagles defense looked really good. Uh, that was led by Jalen Carter in his debut game. Um, he had seven pressures and a sack in his first game, and he was just constantly in the backfield creating havoc, wreaking havoc, and to add on to that, five out of eight Philadelphia pass rushers actually had the fastest average rush time against the quarterback through the entire NFL throughout this first slate of games. So, I mean, like, that that defensive front is a scary, scary proposition for any team to go against. But I gotta say, I think the Patriots O-line held their own for the most part. Uh, later on in the game, Mac Jones seemed to get into a nice rhythm, hitting all sorts of different receivers. He spread the ball around well. He found one of his favorite targets, Hunter Henry, for a touchdown. He found him again on a very key third down conversion late in the game. And I gotta say, I don't think many people would have saw New England outperforming Philadelphia offensively in this game, and I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think with that being said, uh, with with uh, New England's offense outperforming Philadelphia, let's also give a shout-out to uh, New England's defense because I think they proved that they are the real deal uh, with Bill Belichick uh, coaching that unit. You know, you got Judon and Uche on the edge. Those two guys are studs. Christian Barrymore in the middle. That's a big body. And Jabril Prepper is still doing his thing as well. Yeah, no, that the whole entire defensive unit just put up a phenomenal effort. They really, really made Hurts look beyond average at times. And speaking of the Philadelphia offense, though, I was, I think I was shocked. I don't know if anyone else was that. Gainwell was the lead back for this game. I, I thought we were going to see some sort of combination between DeAndre Swift and um, and Penny back there, and I'm, I'm really shocked that they went with Gainwell, but I guess at the same time, they, they, they kind of knew ahead of time that you give Bill Belichick five months to prepare for something, and he's going to throw everything at you. So I think maybe just to mix him up a little bit, maybe thinking the same way that I was. I'm not too sure if he was or not, but that was my takeaway. I was a little bit surprised with that. Yeah, Gainwell's just, he's also familiar with the offense. Um, 
but yeah, I I am with you. I expected DeAndre Swift and and Rashad Penny, but especially Swift to get a. I thought he would be the lead back in a committee, and to see how little he was used was quite shocking. Uh, I'm hoping that they kind of get him more involved as the season goes on. Uh, he's such a dynamic and exciting player, but I do think that. I know the Pats offense was pretty impressive. Mac Jones loves his tight ends and loves his running backs. I don't know if that's because they just lack uh, weapons on the perimeter or just that's just how he just loves throwing into the middle of the field. I think that's fair to say, and I, I, I think it's also fair to note that even Tom Brady during his time in New England, he, he loved throwing to his tight ends as well. Like That's a big script that uh, whoever's working the offensive coordinators try to get in there. But um, I... I do want to say, I mean, this game was really close, right down to the wire. I mean, New England could have won this thing. Like, Jalen Hurts, huge fumble in the fourth quarter. Mac Jones leading them down the field. Looked like they hit a phenomenal catch and throw on fourth down to convert and still continue the drive and unable to get the toe tap in on the sideline. It was devastating for New England. I I mean... I don't know. I I think New England's going to be extremely pleased with the performance. Obviously, never happy with losing, especially at home week one, but many positives to take away from them. And I think Philadelphia is going to go back to the drawing board, and I think they're going to want to work very, very hard midweek for their next matchup because there's a lot of things, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that they need to tighten up there. Yeah, and they just, quite frankly, don't have time. I mean, they play this Thursday against Minnesota Vikings. They have Justin Jefferson coming up, and it looks like James Bradbury, uh, second-team All-Pro from 2022, is in the concussion protocol. And with such a quick turnaround, that was a Thursday game, um, look for him to to maybe miss the game and then be down one of their all-star corners with Jefferson and Addison and that high-powered Vikings offense coming around. Very difficult proposition ahead for the Philadelphia Eagles on such a short week, as you mentioned, and we're looking forward to that Thursday night matchup. That should be a fantastic one. And moving along, Jesse, I'm going to bring us over to the Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears, and for large parts, this wasn't really much of a contest. Uh, Green Bay, dominant 38-20 to victory. And I got to say, I I was very, very impressed with what I saw from Jordan Love coming out in this system. He looked very comfortable at times. He looked poised. He looked confident. He had many key third down conversions for this Packers team in this game. And uh, that's all without star young receiver Christian Watson. And it was kind of like do it by a committee. Get everyone involved. Romeo Dubes two big touchdown catches. Aaron Jones, I mean, holy smokes, did he ever look electric on a couple of his giant plays for that offense. And from a Chicago Bears standpoint, uh, they got a a lot to work with. Uh, A lot to work on, I should say. Um, Justin Fields threw the ball downfield over 10 yards three times in that football game. That is unbelievable, really. Like, how predictable can you possibly be the Green Bay Packers defense, they stuffed the front, they stuffed the run, they made it very easy for the Packers to close in on these short crossfield uh, throws, and I gotta say, there was multiple times they were trying to work screens to either Mooney or DJ Moore or whoever it was, and uh, Chase Claypool, man, I mean, he was sleeping <laughs> out there at times, like, he was missing blocks, he looked like he was, like, almost not even 
present in in the moment for this game it was, it was kind of shocking and i hate to throw people under the bus but I, that really stood out to me jets especially the local abbotsford kid but yeah you can't deny uh just a piss poor effort that he gave for his football team out there i mean it's all on the tape it's all over social media uh they traded a second round pick for him which is pretty incredible it's looking like it's that's not gonna work out um, going, moving into the Bears offense, uh, Justin Fields just has a ways to go in his development as a passer. Uh, you know, he made some plays in the pocket to avoid sacks, but you know, he still struggled with down, like downfield. He, uh, his mechanics are still flawed. He's still just, he, he just looks lost to me in the pocket. Like he, he doesn't know where his first read is. He doesn't know where to go with the ball. And then the second there's pressure, he's just trying to bail. So you know, I, I'm really worried about him. Uh, I'm not worried with Green Bay at all. You know, their defense was just electric. They were so fast. One of the faster units I saw on Sunday, making plays sideline to sideline. You know, their second-year guys, Walker and Wyatt, making plays. Walker had that pick six in the, towards the end of the game. Jer Alexander, still a lockdown corner on the perimeter. And even Lucas Van Ness getting involved on a very yep. key sack in the game as well. Yeah, it, you're completely right. It, it's it's just a great defensive unit for Green Bay. They looked, they looked so ready for this game all across the board, and it really all started with that offense and with Jordan Love, man. And, like, give this guy credit. A lot of people were hating on this guy for a long, long time. Not us. Saying, why draft him? Why let him sit? Why not get Rodgers a receiver? I mean, I, I think you're seeing why you draft him where you did, and I think you're seeing what happens when you develop a quarterback under a legend such as Aaron Rodgers, much like him under Brett Favre to right, right before that as well. And yeah, I don't think you could really script up a better game for Green Bay in, in their first game of the year. And now they're heading towards Atlanta uh, next week. And I, I think that's a fascinating matchup. And that that's going to be a great game to watch. Atlanta's such a exciting team as well right now on both ends of the ball. But yeah, back, back to this Chicago team. I, I do want to give a, a shout out on Nagakue on the defensive end of the ball. He... he for all he could do in this type of game, I I think he made a big impact for them defensively and kept them in the game at times and just was definitely a physical, demanding presence all across the field. But there there's just not a lot of positives to take away from this Chicago team. And I think it really begins with the game script. Like, you gotta open up the field. You gotta, even if you don't think he could hit those passes, at least make the defenders think about him making those passes. But... I will say he, he did hit Mooney on another touchdown. They seem to have great chemistry carrying over still from last year and the very little amount of throwing highlights that Fields has, they tend to be to Mooney. And, I mean, DJ Moore, like, get this guy the ball. I don't care if you're getting him the ball on an end around. I don't care if you're getting him the ball on a screen. Get him the ball. He's electric. He's dynamic. He's a guy who can make things happen. Yeah. Uh, I will say... You know, he needs to be a focal point for them. He's the best player on their offense. He's good with the ball in space. He's good downfield. Uh, he was part of the trade package that you got. So utilize him. He'll help your quarter. He'll help your young quarterback out. And just 
make the whole offense run through him. Line him up in the backfield. Line him up in the slot. Line him up out wide. Don't just line him up out wide the whole game against Jer Alexander because that's a tough matchup. You know, Jer Alexander is one of the top corners in the league. Move him around. Show some creativity. Help your young quarterback out. And let's let's get it moving here, Chicago. Like I'm. He I'm was ca- targeted twice. He had two catches. Yeah. He had twenty five yards. Get him the ball more. Yeah. Period. And that's that's all my that's all I'm gonna say. That's my only take on that. Phenomenal first game from Green Bay, especially on the road <clears throat> with a longtime rival like the Chicago Bears. Bears a lot to work on going forward. And moving along, I'm gonna bring us back a long, long time. Thursday night feels like a lifetime ago. The opening game of NFL season, the Detroit Lions coming into town, into Kansas City. Super Bowl vibes. They got the big vibes going. They're feeling great coming off the Super Bowl. Yeah, they were missing Kelsey. They were missing Chris Jones. But, you know, I don't think many people really gave Detroit much of a chance coming into this game. They thought Mahomes would find a way. But guess what? 21-20, Detroit Lions walk out of KC with the big Week 1 win. What are your main takeaways from this game? Well... Main takeaway, the Lions are they're here to hang, you know. They got a really good team, really well-balanced team. They got a big, big, bruising offensive line. I think that was just, you know, Jared Goff had all day to throw. Even with, I know Chris Jones wasn't there, but still, you know, it was so, just notice on your TV screens how big all five of the linemen are. You know, they got Armour on St. Brown's, really good wide receiver. Montgomery and Gibbs, great compliment. And the defense, the secondary, so improved. I mean, second round pick, Brian Branch, first game in the NFL, and he's making a statement with a pick six, Eli. Are you kidding me? Incredible. Just incredible stuff on Thursday night football, no less against the Super Bowl defending champions. And you know what? Speaking of this big line, I think this big line in many ways highlights this big mentality of head coach Dan Campbell, man. I mean... This guy, he just gives me that presence. He gives me that vibe. He has a real belief in this team. He characterizes it. He shows it through how he acts. And what a great leader he's turning out to be for this football team. And honestly, guess what? Jared Goff, everyone loves to hate on Jared Goff. And, you know, coming off a massive year, there's a lot of people predicting on his downfall, hoping for his downfall in many ways, I believe. He's a very hated person in this league for whatever reason but he got the job done he got them a massive massive win and you know what on that offensive side of the ball for Kansas City they missed Travis Kelsey in a big big way I mean Patrick Mahomes man he's doing what he does he's he's just extending plays with his legs with his brilliant mind he's finding the open receivers and time and time again drop after drop after drop and you know I don't even have to mention him by name but I will Kadarius Tony number 19 that was a rough scene a very rough scene he was battling injuries all camp all preseason trying to get ready for this game trying to be that number one listed receiver on the depth chart and Yeah, he threw out an all-time brutal performance game one. I do not like hitting people while they're down, but that was just simply tough to watch, Jesse. Yeah, you could tell the frustration all over Patrick Mahomes' face. I mean, he was running around trying to will his team to victory, doing everything he can down two of the very best players in the whole NFL. 
And to just get very little help on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, you just got a feel for the guy. Um, you know, on Detroit's defensive side of the ball, I just want to shout out Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, the guy, the second-year the second pro, I mean, he was absolutely incredible, you know. He was yeah. flying into that backfield yeah. on numerous occasions. He had seven pressures, and the craziest thing about that, like, five of those pressures came on third and fourth down, and that is one of the main reasons why the Lions won that game. Uh, won that game. Quar- uh, third down is a quarterback down, and to get constant pressure like that, and to be in the backfield and be in Mahomes' face, I mean that's just so impressive by him. You know, he's looking like he's gonna definitely take that year two step and be a force all year long. We've seen many legends before him do that exact thing, like you just said, big leap in year two. And I do want to say the one guy who kind of stood out to me on the offensive side of the ball for Kansas City was Rasheed Rice. Um, he had a great touchdown. Um, he just looked like, to me, like he was the most confident in his movement off the ball route running. And apart from that, I mean, like, I know Kelsey's going to make a big difference when he's back, but Patrick Mahomes needs to trust these other receivers. He, he needs to believe that someone will be able to step up and make a play, make a catch, run the routes properly. And I don't know how you come out of week one feeling confident about this group, but they're, they're going to really work on it and see who's going to be the guy to elevate and say, I am the main receiver. I am going to lead this receiver room because we didn't see that after week one. Maybe Rishi Rice will be that guy. That remains to be seen. But Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, that was a big, big time letdown for them in a big Thursday night game to kick off the NFL season. Absolutely, Eli. I mean, Sky Moore, just, he couldn't create any separation, you know, on, on the tape. He just he couldn't get open. He had a couple... It's hard to call his drops drops. They are drops, but they were tougher catches. But they're just catches you expect someone drafted in the second round to make. Um, you know, they got a really tough matchup coming up with Jacksonville. So I will say it's, it's absolutely massive that they were able to get uh, Chris Jones back on that one-year deal that's up to $25 huge. million. Absolutely um, huge. I think, you know, they probably watched the film back after the Thursday night game and just saw that, you know, the Detroit Lions offensive line just had their way with the Kansas And how City big teams. of an impact this Chris Jones really makes for this team, and not only on the field, but, like, his personality in that locker room and on the sidelines as well. And, yeah, it's not going to get any easier in Jacksonville next week. That's going to be a shootout someone's going to have to step up and make plays, and we'll see who it is. That should be a fantastic game. Okay, and next up, Jesse, we got the Baltimore Ravens versus the Houston Texans. That finished in a 25-9 win for Baltimore, and they did not come out of this with a great feeling, though. Massive, massive loss. J.K. Dobbins done for the season. Achilles injury. Safety. Marcus Williams out for the foreseeable future. Two O-linemen, Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, out week to week, and potentially they will not be having Marlon Humphreys next week against Cincinnati. We are yet to know that right now, but overall they got the win, did not look great. What were your takeaways from it? Well, offensively, you know, pretty stagnant. Uh, I think not just me, but everybody had pretty high expectations. New offensive coordinator, additions of Odell Beckham Jr. They added Zay Flowers, first-round pick. I know Mark Andrews was out, but still. Um, Zay Flowers was really impressive, um, really, you know, shifty, explosive with the ball in his hands. Uh, excited to see him grow, but Lamar looked really rusty to me. 
Um, and on the defensive side for Baltimore, Roquan Smith had a great game, 16 tackles and a sack, and also Owe, Odafa Owe had seven pressures. But the story for Baltimore offensively, uh, looking rusty, got to keep improving, get that passing game going. I completely agree. Zay Flowers, big-time highlight and possibly the only highlight from that offense. I will flip it over to Houston and C.J. Stroud in his debut playing in Baltimore. Very tough place to go play. I thought he equipped himself fantastically. I thought he looked very, very comfortable at times. He hit so many key third-down passes. Good pocket presence, good decision-making. Overall, I was very impressed with his first performance. I know he didn't get the touchdown, but also did not throw an interception. He took care of the ball well, and I want to flip it on the defensive side and say number three overall pick, Will Anderson Jr., phenomenal game from him defensively as well. He created five pressures, he got a sack, and a 21.7% win rate on the line. Just a really, really encouraging performance from a super young uh, Houston Texans team and on the other side Baltimore they got a tough match next week they're playing Cincinnati in Cincinnati tighten up that offense defense look good enough and I think that's going to be a big test for them early on this year big divisional showdown you know um, it's going to be a, pretty much a must-win game for both teams this early on to kind of get the bragging rights and get in front of that division so Looking forward to that game, but yeah, the Ravens got a lot to improve on, and I was pretty encouraged as well with Houston. I think D'Amico Ryan should be pleased with his young team. Yep, tons of injuries for Baltimore. Let's see how they could cope and come out next week. Houston's got Indy next week. That should be a great game with two young quarterbacks leading the way there. Okay, Jesse, and moving along, we're going to step all the way over to Carolina versus Atlanta. This ended in a 24-10 win for the Atlanta Falcons, and I know you watched large portions of this game. I am very interested to hear your take on it. Yeah, well, I was uh, really intrigued with this matchup uh, for two reasons. Uh, A, B. John Robinson. B, Bryce Young. Speaking of B. John Robinson, did... did did he get a touchdown in this oh, game or man. something? I, I feel like I might have saw something there. Oh, but. man. A little, you know, they lined up in the shotgun. He's to the right of Desmond Ritter, and then he goes in a swing pass. They give it to him in space, and, I mean, in a split second, he absolutely jukes the defender and then explodes through two tackles for the touchdown. I saw that that play had a 10.7% chance of scoring. That's how crazy of a play he made on that initial juke. And then that wasn't even all of it. And you saw everything, the full package of what everyone was hyping about this kid in that play. You saw the swiftiness, the evasiveness, the mind, and the explosion, the physicality to get through the two defenders on either side, pinballing between them like they were absolutely nothing. What a phenomenal first touchdown on an NFL debut for B. John Robinson. That was sensational stuff. Um, I want to flip to Carolina's side of the ball, and I want you to talk about how and what happened for Bryce Young in his debut. Well, right off the right off the bat, I will say Bryce Young, you know, he didn't flinch, he didn't panic, he was super composed the whole game. I was really impressed with that. Um, you know, his he got his first touchdown was on a little RPO run pass option and he just has such a quick release he fired it out there to the flat to Hayden Hurst. Um, but 
you know, I really worry about this offense in general. Uh, lack of weapons, especially with DJ Chark out. You know, there's just not explosive. Uh, they were dinking and dunking down the field. You know, that's just not going to do it. Um, you know, Miles Sanders, he was okay. Chuba Hubbard actually looked like the better back um, between the two to me. But, yeah, just the, the lack of weapons on the outside, I think it, it might be a long year for them offensively. They just don't have any firepower or fireworks for Bryce Young to work with. I think Bryce Young might have a couple nightmares midweek with Jesse Bates in them because that's two interceptions on a debut coming over from the Cincinnati Bengals. What a massive, massive uh, statement for him to make for that Atlanta Falcons defense. Uh, do want to shout out. Brian Burns on the Carolina side of the ball. He is in a contract dispute. Pay this man. Pay this man. Give him what he wants. He is a difference maker on this Carolina Panthers defense. He was all over the place, flying around, electric in every facet of the game. This one-two punch on Atlanta, though, they got something special. Tyler Allegier and B. John Robinson, very, very two different dynamic backs. They complement each other very well. I mean, they dominated this game, and uh, Desmond Ritter had, like, 15 completions for 116 yeah. yards, and the game was never really close, and that's that speaks to how dominant these two running backs really were, along with that uh, Atlanta Falcons defense. And coming up next, Atlanta, very interesting game with Green Bay next week, and Carolina prime time against the New Orleans Saints at home Monday night. Going to be a couple good games to watch there. We'll see what happens. Next up, we have the Arizona Cardinals versus the Washington Commanders. Best name in football. We have a 20-16 win for Washington in this one, Jesse. And I watched bits and pieces of this, checked out the tape afterwards. Sam Howell, at times, looked like a very incredible talent to me. At other times, he looked like a very raw, very panicked young quarterback out there. He uh, coughed up the ball horribly on... A scramble away from the defenders, uh, coughed it up for a defensive touchdown. He also had a really, really phenomenal passing touchdown to Brian Robinson, his running back, when he was scrambling to his left, manipulated his arm, showed good poise, showed good composure there. Overall, though, the offensive line, they, they got to be better. They allowed six sacks against the Arizona Cardinals defense, where I struggle to name you more than two or three players on this defense, but I will name you two or three right now because Buda Baker, once again, leading the way on the secondary, and Zaven Collins. Big game for Zaven Collins. He had one interception, he had a fumble recovery, and yeah, I, I don't really know where else to go from here, Jesse. Do you have anything to add on this game? Yeah, I'll say, I'll just add, like, Sam Hull, you know, he did some good things. Um, he showed a little bit of pocket awareness at times, like you said, and other times he looked a little bit lost. But, you know, as a young quarterback, you kind of expect that. It was a little Heineke-esque with his performance, a little all over the place, you know. Good so, comparison there, and that's not a comparison Sam Howell wants going forward, I might add. But, you know, Heineke a vet, Sam Howell in his second career start, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's got a lot of growing to do. He's definitely got the talent. Um, shout out to Montez Sweat. Uh, he had a sack and a half, and he had a strip sack uh, force fumble to seal the victory for and Washington. And two force fumbles on the day for Montez Sweat. That was a massive, massive game for him. And, exactly. and frankly, they kind of thought they would come in here and roll the Cardinals, and it was a little bit tighter. So very clutch from Sweat down the stretch there. And yeah, next up for Washington, 
They're going to be playing against the New York Football Giants next week, who are coming off an abysmal game. My bad, the Arizona Cardinals will be against the New York Giants, and it's actually going to be Washington against the Broncos next week. Sorry, I got those flipped around, but yeah, two pretty interesting games. I will not be watching the Giants-Arizona, I could tell you that much, but Washington-Denver, very interesting. And moving along, we're going to go to Las Vegas versus the Denver Broncos. Let's ride! And maybe not so much this week, Jesse. Um, Hold on, hold the phone. It's a 17-16 win for the Vegas Raiders. And Sean Payton, he has announced himself back into the league emphatically. First kickoff of the year. Let's go for an onside kick. Jesse, how do you feel about this? And how do you feel about this debut game under Sean Payton for the Denver Broncos this year? So, a little bit about me real quick. Denver losses, they don't go away in a day. They go away in like eight days. So, this is raw emotion you're going to hear from me here. Um, That onside kick was surprising. I don't love it just because we didn't get it, obviously. And then the Raiders were just at their own 40 right off the get. And they they had to go for they had a ten play forty four yard drive that led to a touchdown. You know that's not explosive. That's dink and dunk, and that's not a lot of yards to go. It's not really a way to create good momentum for your team to start the year, there, is it, Jesse? No. So that I was a little bit confused with that, but all in all, you know, it was a weird game. Both teams only had six possessions. Um, an NFL average is 10.9 possessions per game per team. So almost cut that in half for yeah. both teams. They almost combined for one team's average. Exactly. That's, that's pretty surprising. Exactly. You know, the offense definitely looked better for Denver. Russell Wilson had a really good first half and then back to, you know, not not so good second half. But uh, the, the pass protection was better. Uh, the defense looked like it took a considerable step back uh, besides Pat Sertan. You know, we we only gave up 17 points, but, you know, we only, we didn't, the Raiders only had one three and out. Speaking um, of that defense, a uh, fascinating statistic here. They blitzed at a 41.4% rate, and they only created 13.8% pressures, which was dead last in the NFL this week. That Those two numbers don't add up, do they? Exactly, Eli, and that's, uh, in my opinion, that's the main reason why we lost this game. Uh, the Broncos gave up seven pressures. Six of those came from Max Crosby, and beast. And we Denver doesn't have a Max Crosby on their defensive front. With uh, the closest thing we would have would be Baron Browning, and he's on the pup list, so we don't have him right now. So it's definitely a concern moving forward. They have to address that. Vance Joseph has to get creative with his blitzes and with his uh, pressure packages because. You know, moving forward, if they can't pressure the quarterback in a division with Jimmy G, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, and a stacked AFC, it's going to be a long season for Denver. I'll tell you where they don't really need much work, though. That's on the secondary, and that's PS2. That's Patrick Sertain. He absolutely shut down Devontae Adams, held him down to two catches for 11 yards on five attempts towards him. That You, you don't see anything like that against the talent of Devontae Adams that just speaks to how good Patrick Sertain really is so that's one area where they don't need to worry about going forward that's right Eli I mean Patrick Sertain was strapping 17 all game it was a great thing to see you know in a gotta have it moment they moved Devontae Adams into the slot uh, in the fourth quarter and I watched Patrick Sertain travel into the slot and press him 
I mean, that's how highly Denver thinks of him. He is not a nickel corner at all. He's six foot two, 210 pounds. And to move him in the slot and trust him with that, that speaks volume to his game. Uh, with all that being said, though, uh, big game coming up versus Washington. Uh, look for Denver to rebound. Uh, they need to get pressure. They're in for a long game. That's right. And Vegas has Buffalo next week in what should be a fascinating matchup after Buff- Buffalo coming off that big Monday night loss. And I just want to add in before we wrap up, Denver was missing Jerry Judy. Dolchich went down, but at the end of the day, you have their number two running back, P. Ryan, leading the way with 37 receiving yards. That's not going to get it done. That's simply not. Denver's got to find a way to get the ball to Cortland Sutton and more of their dynamic wide receivers going forward. Judy back. That'll be big. Let's see where these two teams go from here. Next up, we have Sunday Night Football. Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants. And do, do you know when this game is supposed to take place, Jesse? Because I, I don't think I saw one of these football teams show up for this game. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what an embarrassment for the New York Giants to just get um, manhandled like that on live TV. But, you know, I will say it was a bit of a weird game. A couple early bounces that just went the Cowboys' way and kind of took momentum right out of the Giants' hands, and they were never able to recover, you know, an early blocked field goal for a touchdown, and then Saquon Barkley with the catch, and then he got hit, and the ball popped up for a pick six, and the Giants aren't just, uh, they just aren't built to come back from deficits like that, you know, they they want to run the ball, control the clock. And I gotta say, um, Daniel Jones, I mean, like, he, he just got absolutely abused, his offensive line looked invisible I felt like I blinked and I saw seven white shirts in his face within a second every single play it was just total harassment for that team he got sacked seven times I believe and that was just a terrible terrible team effort from the New York Giants on in prime time in their own city and they got properly, properly sat down on national television. And I just want to throw out a couple phenomenal stats from this game. The Cowboys on 23 out of 37 dropbacks by Daniel Jones had a 62.2% uh, pass rushing pressure rate, which is the fourth highest in a single game since 2019. Three out of the top 10 pass rushers from the week with the highest win rate came from this Cowboys team. And that was due to the fact that Mika Parsons wreaking havoc, getting double teamed, opening up the field for the rest of this Cowboy defense to expose this front line from the New York Giants. Uh, Yeah, Eli, it was a really dominant effort by the Cowboys defense. Dan Quinn had them boys flying around. Uh, You can just tell right away the thing that pops off the screen with their defense is just the speed, sideline to sideline, all ends of the field. Uh, one of the most underrated uh, acquisitions of the offseason, in my opinion, would be the trade that the Cowboys made to the Colts for Stephon Gilmore. He had an interception in his first game, and I just think him on one side, Trayvon Diggs on the other, is one of the best uh, cornerback duos in the league to go along with that vicious pass rush that the Cowboys have. That's a great point you make. Stephon Gilmore had a phenomenal debut for the Cowboys, and he is a presence in the locker room. He's a veteran. He is as good as anyone could be and he's done it throughout his whole entire career and I gotta say shout out Tony Pollard still doing Tony Pollard things two touchdowns for this Cowboys offense 70 yards on the ground 
and C.D. Lamb in very limited action. He only had four throws come his way, and all he did was bring them all in for 77 yards. He played truly just exactly how you would expect him to, and and like all things considered, this Cowboys offense didn't look great. It was just simply one from this defensive front, from the special teams, and next up for the Cowboys is a big game. They're playing against the New York Jets. They're playing against the Jets without Aaron Rodgers, and the Giants... I think, thankfully for them, have an opportunity to bounce back against the Arizona Cardinals team next week. Yeah, Eli, and with the the Cowboys, with and the Cowboys Jets game coming up, you want to see the Cowboys offense kind of bounce back. I know it was a monsoon, but like you said, they weren't, they didn't have to be, but they just didn't look that sharp. Aside from Ceedee Lamb and Tony Pollard, Dak missed a couple throws. I don't know if that was due to the rain or not. Um, after last year, it's hard to speculate, but. You know, they're, just, they're going to have to be sharp this week with the Jets coming. Uh, that's going to be a great matchup, and I think we'll kind of see if the Cowboys' offense is for real with Mike McCarthy calling plays or if it's taking a step back without Kellen Moore. Really good point you make there, Jesse, and very easy to take your foot off the pedal after an emphatic win like that, 40 to nothing. and we'll see how they respond next week. It's a big game for both teams to try to stay on track and get on track if the, you're the New York Giants. Okay, and moving along now, I think I'm going to move to perhaps the most shocking result of the entire weekend for Week 1 games. I'm going to move us to the LA Rams against the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, and it's the LA Rams coming out on top 30-13. to And Jesse, I got to tell you, this was Matt Stafford showing everyone why he is, in fact, among the elite of the NFL at the quarterback position. This is the 58th time in his career where he has thrown for over 300 passing yards. And guess what? He did it without Cooper Cup. This was a statement game from the LA Rams. It was a very dominating win in the end. And shout out to the rookie, Puka Nakua exploding in his debut, 10 catches, 119 yards, 2-2 Atwal, matching it with 119 yards of his own on 6 catches, and Rams dominating possession, 40 minutes to 20 minutes. Jesse, I don't think you could win a football game being on the field for as little as 20 minutes as an offense. Absolutely not, man. You you gotta your defense has to make stops, especially on third down, and you gotta you gotta make plays. I mean, you can't you can't have two to one possession time and, and walk out of a game with a W. And you know Seattle just proved that. Um, Matt Stafford, I can't say enough good things about his performance uh, on Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, he was just dicing them up in the pocket, showing the world, uh, reminding the world that he's still elite. Uh, just like we said it on the debut episode of the Gridiron Gang podcast, when healthy, Matthew Stafford is one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he, I think he just reminded the world that this weekend. Really impressed with his performance. Um, on Seattle's side of the ball, uh, a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, things were going pretty good for them. But as soon as, you know, the left tackle and the right tackle went down with injuries, Cross and Lucas kind of kind of just spelled the end for them there. Uh, Gino was never able to get set after that. Um, and Tyler Lockett going down on a big big headshot to him like not really headshot but you've seen the head rattle and it was not targeting by any means but big hit big loss having him go out for a large portion of that game and this really was as you say a tale of two halves Jesse because for all things considered Seattle did look very good in the first half they were working their way in the game very effectively 
And in the second half, I, I need to check my notes here because I, I'm shocked by this. They had 12 yards of total offense in the second half. That That is astonishing against a Rams defense that not many people were giving much credit to outside of Aaron Donald. No, exactly, Eli. I mean, I was stunned with this. You know, I was really high on the Seahawks all offseason, all the moves they made. You know, they added a receiver. They added a ton of players on defense. I had really high hopes, and this was really – I was really stunned with this outcome. I mean, Eli, is this the worst performance uh, home opener uh, for the Seattle Seahawks in Pete Carroll's tenure as head coach? You know, I got to say, all things considered, no Cooper Cup coming in with very high expectations. It's hard to imagine there was a more devastating opening loss. I, I can't really think of one off the top of my head. I think this is shocking, and this is going to send shockwaves through that Seattle Seahawks team. But they do, as you say, have a phenomenal coach like Pete Carroll to right the ship, and they're going to want to do that very quickly turning around next week i believe they are playing the detroit lions coming off of a phenomenal opening day win over the defending super bowl champions kansas city chiefs and guess what the la rams next week they got a big test of their own they got san francisco 49ers and i i think that game's going to be turning a few more heads than perhaps it would have before week one when people were looking at the schedule ahead I know one thing, that's going to be a physical matchup. Uh, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, two outstanding coaches. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that game, Eli. And not to overreact, it's a, it's a bad loss for Seattle, but it's week one. They got a great team. They got a great coach. And I, I think they're going to figure it out and turn things around there very quickly. Okay, and next up, speaking of shocking results, I think this is another shocker for many NFL fans. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Minnesota Vikings. In Minnesota, and it's a 20-17 to victory for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I got to tell you, I was watching large portions of this game, and it was very difficult to process what I was seeing. Uh, at times, Kirk Cousins displayed like just absolutely effortless ability to get the ball to his playmakers, notably Justin Jefferson, who exploded yet again to nobody's surprise for over 150 yards receiving and I mean he was dicing up this team at times and shocking stat from that first half was he became the only quarterback since the year 2000 Vinny Testaverde to throw for over 250 yards and turn the ball over three times at halftime it's it was just wild it was wild to see and Shout out to the Tampa Bay Bucks defense because they stepped up in big moments, they kept it a game, and they gave Baker an opportunity to win this game in week one. Absolutely, Eli. I think the Vikings, they're just too Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins-centric with their offense, you know? Um, in the second half, you saw Tampa Bay kind of take Jefferson out of the equation. Uh, he only had two catches in the second half. And once that kind of happened, uh, the Vikings offense just kind of stalled out, you know, no run game, uh, which kind of questions cutting Dalvin Cook in the offseason off season even more. Um, Alexander Madison, you know, he's, he's not terrible, but he's definitely not Dalvin Cook. But I will say, you know, there wasn't a lot of holes opening for him. Uh, Tampa Bay's defense, I just can't say enough good things about them in the second half. You know, Vita Vea really dominated. Uh, Winfield Jr. had some great plays. Carlton Davis is a really good corner. And the two beasts, man, the two-headed monster, Devin White and Levante David, they just remain that physical aspect. Sideline to sideline. Yeah, they're, they're all over the place. I mean, 
I mean, what a win, man. What a what an incredible, incredible win that not many people would have had uh, coming into this week. And Mike Evans, just he, he continues to do what Mike Evans does. He's catching another touchdown pass from another different quarterback. It's like, it's really crazy how people keep sleeping on this guy. He has a thousand yards receiving every single year he's been in the league. I feel like he gets disrespected very often and he did it yet again. And and how about that guy Baker, man? How about how about Baker Mayfield coming out? He he's a competitor, if nothing else. Didn't have a didn't have a phenomenal stat line by any means, but he he made key plays for them. He did not turn the ball over many times, and he he kept this game very competitive all the way through. Baker, he plays with his heart on his sleeve. I mean, what a gutsy, gritty performance by him. It wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't spectacular, but he made the plays when it mattered, and. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, on that little uh, zone read, he kept the ball. And, you know, he stiff-armed Byron Murphy Jr. for the first down, and they won the game. And, you know, that's that's why guys like and can get behind Baker Mayfield. Even when the guy's struggling, you know, he's just got that mentality. You know, they're, you're always in it. You're always in the fight. He's a scrapper. He's a fighter. So I look for them, you know, a really good win for the Bucks. I look for them to kind of build off that. Baker, build off that, and let's see what they can do offensively. Uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both showing that they're still two of the premier wide receivers in the game. And for the Vikings, really tough with Philadelphia coming up on a short week. Yeah, that Thursday nighter against Philly just all of a sudden turned into a very big game for the Minnesota Vikings. You do not want to go down 0-2 to start your season. And on the on the flip side, Tampa Bay, a very winnable matchup against the Chicago Bears. They're going to want to keep that momentum rolling after a fantastic team win from Week 1 against a very good opponent in Minnesota. Okay, Jesse, next up for us, I got us with Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts. This is a 31-21 victory for the Jags, and all I got to say is Trevor Lawrence plus Calvin Ridley equals dynamite. Absolute dynamite. Welcome back, Calvin Ridley. We are so happy to see you again. We emphasized this on our preview show for the season. We hammered this point home. This guy is a stud. This guy's a difference maker. This guy's going to come in and change this offense, which was already pretty damn good without him, I must say. 100% Eli. I mean, can you list a better group of pass catchers on a team than than the Jacksonville Jaguars have? Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram... Travis Etienne out of the backfield, Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones. How about that Zay Jones touchdown? Speaking of good catches, I mean, good holy catches, smokes. An absolutely ridiculous throw by Trevor Lawrence, who just showed off just great anticipation. He threw that ball when Zay Jones was in front of the defender, and he threw the ball behind the Before defender. Before he even turned, knowing that he was going to be there, trusting him to be there, and Zay Jones repaid that trust with a fantastic catch. Just incredible. I mean, Trevor Lawrence all game was just dropping dimes. Uh, he was just, you know, showing off his accuracy with power throws. I mean, he made three or four throws that only, you know, four to five to six guys in the league can make. I mean, the numbers weren't too eye-popping, but just, just an overall solid game by him. Uh... I will say uh, Jacksonville's O-line was a little disappointing. The Colts were getting to Trevor Lawrence uh, quite often with pressure, led by Quiddy Pay and DeForest Buckner. I think that's something they want to uh, address and kind of clean up. I know they have like a guy who's suspended in Cam Robinson. That they did. And speaking of DeForest Buckner, what a heads-up play by a, a feisty veteran. I mean... 
they got to Lawrence. It was actually him who got to Lawrence, hammered Lawrence, forced the fumble. Everyone stopped. The whistle did not blow. Buckner knew that ball was out. He got to it, took it to the house, and that was a very, very big play in this game. And this game, I have to say, was very competitive all the way through. Shout out, young man, Anthony Richardson, phenomenal NFL debut. He showed great poise. He showed great competitiveness. He got it done with his legs at key moments when he had to. I think in my mind, the most impressive of the three superstar rookie quarterbacks to come out of this year's draft for the first week. I, I, I didn't really think that this game was going to be as competitive as it ended up being. Michael Pittman yet again displaying that he is the number one guy on this receiver unit for even Anthony Richardson. He had a big game, got in the house yet again. And yeah, like you were saying, um, Travis Etienne, he, he's reminding us. He's, he's saying, I, I am part of this offense, by the way, guys. I had 23 total touches, over 100 yards combined through the air and on the ground and getting in the house for a big touchdown as well. Yeah, I was really impressed with uh, Anthony Richardson. I thought he flashed his potential. Um, you know, he made some really good throws. Obviously, he missed on a number of throws, which I think everyone can kind of kind of expected. You know, he's really raw. But, you know, he just hung in there all game. He fought with his guys. You can tell that the team really believes in him and rallies behind him. You know, there were times where he held on to the ball for too long and took some unnecessary hits. But, you know, that'll kind of just... That comes with the learning curve of the NFL. The game's just so much faster, and he only had 13 starts in college. So I was really, really pleased with his performance. I think the Colts are going to be a really fun team to watch this year. I don't know how many games they're going to win, but just watching uh, Anthony Richardson learn on the fly and just grow and develop uh, is going to be something that I'm going to keep my eye on and that I'll be tracking all season, Eli. And this was all done, might I remind you guys, without JT. No Jonathan Taylor in the picture. Uh... Anthony Richardson led the way with 40 yards rushing. Deion Jackson, a very, very woeful performance. He had two key fumbles. He had 14 yards on 13 carries. Uh, I think if my math adds up, that's a little over one yard per carry from Deion Johnson. So they're going to want to get Zach Moss back in this picture. They're going to want to get that running game established going forward, but I think, as you say, plenty of positives to take away from this Indianapolis Colts team with this young quarterback who seems to be blossoming very quickly in the NFL. Next up for the Jags, they have the Kansas City Chiefs in a big game. Chiefs coming off a huge loss against the Detroit Lions. And Indianapolis versus Houston, which I'm actually really looking forward to. Two great, great young quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, that should be a fun one to watch, and we can't wait to break that down for you next week. Okay, and next up, we're going to be moving along to the Tennessee Titans in New Orleans against the Saints. This was a very tightly contested matchup, Jesse. It finished 16-15 in favor of New Orleans, and I just want to start this off by complimenting how great this Saints defense really was out there. I mean... Picking off Ryan Tannehill three times is one thing. Holding that beast, Derrick Henry, to only 63 rushing yards is astonishing. That's a great, great way to start the year against a fresh Derrick Henry. 
Um, I want to highlight Demario Davis and Cam Jordan. They're two leaders of this defense. They continue doing just that. Veteran Marshawn Lattimore getting a big INT, making himself relevant yet again. And um, this this was a hard-fought game. The Saints were unable to establish any effective run game through Jamal Williams as a replacement for Alvin Kamara for these first three games. They struggled mightily at times, especially in the red zone, but inevitably Derek Carr did enough he got the job done they got the win he threw for over 300 yards Chris Olave looked phenomenal yet again he he seems to characterize superstar traits as a young receiver in this league catching eight balls for over 100 yards and yeah I want to hear what some of your takeaways are from this game yeah I thought the Saints won this game through their defense like you said led by Demario Davis and Cam Jordan and Marshawn Lattimore and I also think that they won this game through Derek Carr's right arm I know it wasn't perfect he was shaky at times especially in the red zone his first red zone attempt was hilarious as a saint the ball slipped right out of his hands and went into the dirt I got a good chuckle out of that but you know when the t- when the when the game was on the line and it mattered the uh, he won this game with his right arm you know that deep shot down the sideline to Shahid uh, that iced the game out. That was a great throw by Derek Carr, and that's why you brought him in there for plays like that. And for the Titans, just wanted to shout them out on defense. Such a such a tough unit to move the ball on. You know, they're so well coached. They're so physical. The Titans had two of the top five pressure players this week. Uh, Arden Key with a league-high 11 pressures. And I want to shout out Danico Audrey along to add on with that. He created eight pressures, and he only played 56% of the snaps. I mean, this is astonishing pressure numbers from this Titans defense, and I think that speaks volumes not only to how great they played, but where New Orleans needs to raise a point of emphasis to address going into their next game. That offensive line, not good enough. Carr pressured many, many times, knocked down many, many times, and all things considered... They did enough to get the job done. It didn't look pretty, as you say, at times for large portions of this game. And I think they have a huge, huge Week 2 matchup, a divisional matchup against Carolina Monday Night Football next week. And they they really need to get the win there. This is a big game in terms of that divisional race, especially after how Carolina came out Week 1 against Atlanta. Looked very vulnerable at times. Defensively, they looked great. Offensively, not so much. And the Titans will look to rebound against the LA Chargers next week with both teams coming in with an 0-1 record after Week 1. Yeah, it's going to be tough for the Titans. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was terrible on Sunday. He had three really bad interceptions. And I think we spoke about that in our preview show, that Tannehill's leash is short, man. Like, he has two young quarterbacks behind them, and if he's going to be turning the ball over, taking his team out of games like this, um, don't be surprised to see Mike Vrabel look down that quarterback line and take a shot on one of these two young quarterbacks waiting. Yeah, and, you know, the Titans, uh, they really struggle. Their wide receiver room is not good. They really struggle to get open. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a clear number two at this point of his career. He really struggles to separate, uh, you know, Traylon Burks. He can't get open. It's just, it's really tough sledding for them offensively besides Derrick Henry. So I think they're in for a long year on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I'm looking to see who steps up for them personally because yeah, I didn't I didn't I was really not impressed with what I watched from the offensive side of the ball for the Titans, Eli. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree, Jesse. And yeah, defensively, both teams looked pretty phenomenal to me. They looked absolutely outstanding at times. And I think both teams will have their own points of emphasis to address offensively going forward. The Saints mainly establishing a run game of sorts without Alvin Kamara. And like you say, there's not a lot of options for this Tennessee offense. They're going to have to find a way to get that O-line stronger and get Derrick Henry a lot of volume to be competitive, I believe. Okay, and next up, we have a big divisional matchup between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. And I got to tell you, Jesse, this game was ugly in more ways than one. The rain was pouring. The storms were falling down. We had Jamar Chase calling this team elves. He said, we are coming out to play some elves on Sunday. Well, guess what, Jamar Chase? The elves came to play and they sent you guys home with a 24-3 loss in a very, very ugly fashion for the Cincinnati Bengals team. Yeah, it was a really tough loss for them. They couldn't get anything going on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Joe Burrow with one of the worst games of his career. I just I don't want to overreact too hard. It's week one, and you know he had that calf injury in training camp and missed the majority of it. And, you know, Joe Burrow, he's a notoriously slow starter. That's back-to-back clunkers in week one, but I mean... Five picks against Pittsburgh last year, week one, and a stat line that would be absolutely shocking, to say the least, of 14 completions for 82 yards on 31 pass attempts. I get it. It was raining. Conditions were bad. This man just got paid more than any other person in the history of the NFL, and I'm pretty damn sure his fans weren't expecting this type of performance coming off of that type of paycheck absolutely not i mean you you're paying him north of 50 53 54 million dollars a season crazy over 25 percent of the salary cap for a performance like that i mean that's unacceptable especially in a division game uh with that being said uh the browns offense nick chubb is still nick chubb still explosive still one of the best running backs in the league um however i still just am puzzled and just confused with Deshaun Watson's play he's just it's fallen off so much from his elite status that he was at three years ago he looks lost at times he had a terrible interception uh I will say like for as as much as he struggled throwing the ball he did find some success running the ball and with his legs which kind of kept drives going and he made some plays that way but you know they're not paying him that much money to to throw for under 200 yards and and turn the ball over you know No, I completely agree, Jesse. I will give both quarterbacks the benefit of the doubt because it was was terrible conditions. I was watching. It was awful. But Deshaun Watson has yet to show any flashes that he is his former self, like not even one. And I got to say, defensively, though, Cincinnati, yet again, Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson coming off those edges. They look great. They did not miss a step. They are not the reason why Cincinnati lost this game. And on the flip side... I highlighted it on our preview show. I mentioned it. Jim Schwartz, he brings this elite edge rush unit with him everywhere he goes. Zadarius Smith was a massive presence in this game, complimenting Miles Garrett 
on both sides. And Miles Garrett, I mean, he's just having fun out there, man. He's doing these sidestep and toe steps before the play. <laughs> he he looked to be having just a great time playing this game out there. And You know he took it personally when Jamar Chase called the Browns the L's. Uh, he went on record to say that that's just disrespectful. And it you could tell he came in there with a point to prove, and, and they really proved their point. It is, and these are all elite athletes, and they all come out with points to prove, and they all come out with a chip on their shoulder, especially when someone's taking a dig at an entire historic franchise such as the Cleveland Browns. And I, I I don't really know where else to go from here, but I'll tell you where Cincinnati's going. They're going to play Baltimore Tough next game. week. And that's, that, that's a big divisional game for them. And they, they do not want to start 0-2. I can't stress that enough. Starting 0-2 in this league does not typically end up well. Especially this starting 0-2 in the division. That's, that's correct. And this is early on. We don't want to make overreactions. We get it. We we know the talents there. We know that they have Jamar Chase. We know T. Higgins is not going to go for zero yards on eight targets. That that is simply astonishing. And on the other side of the ball, uh, Cleveland now will go against Pittsburgh and what they would view as probably a very good opportunity to keep the ball going, keep momentum rolling, look to establish some offense keep the ball going through Nick Chubb, and hopefully for them, Deshaun Watson can show some signs, man, because it's not looking good for Deshaun Watson, but that defense is certainly looking good. There was a complete team effort on both sides of the ball to get a very big week one win for this Cleveland Browns team. Okay, and finally, to wrap up this slate of Week 1 NFL action, we are going to finish with the San Francisco 49ers versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Jesse, I got to tell you, for uh, this San Francisco team to roll into Pittsburgh, a very, very difficult place to play historically, I'm not too sure they could have put a better team performance together than they did on this Sunday. That's right, Eli. They put a lot of great things on tape this past Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They just came in, and from the opening whistle to the closing whistle, they just kicked him in the throat for the entire game. It just looked like the 49ers were playing at a different speed than the P- Pittsburgh Steelers. Like They were like two times faster than them. It was something special to watch. Fred Warner, just an incredible beast. I mean, he was all over the place. He did not sit out a single snap, Jesse. We're talking a veteran Fred Warner, and he still looks absolutely electric for this defensive unit, man. Oh, just... He's all over the place, sideline. Like he, he looks like he could play running back. Like He's sideline to sideline. He, he meets you in the hole. He lays the wood. I mean, he's so fun to watch. One of the best linebackers in the game. Um, you know... Uh, Drake Jackson's second year defensive end for the 49ers. He had two big sacks in this game on Kenny Pickett. Uh, one of them came on the first drive, and Kenny Pickett was never really able to recover uh, from that moment. You know, he really struggled, uh, constant pressure, missing throws high, uh, struggled with accuracy. They couldn't get a run game going. I mean, I wasn't. There was not a team that I was more impressed with in Week One than the San Francisco 49ers. They came out and proved why you and I both think that they're Super Bowl contenders and why I think majority of the people who cover the NFL think that they're Super Bowl contenders. And we haven't even mentioned their offense yet. Christian McCaffrey, 155-plus yards on the ground. This guy is simply just one of the best of all time in this league. And Brandon Ayuk, we talked about previously in this preview show, if this guy gets an opportunity, he can showcase his superstar talents. He did just that. 
he had a huge, huge week one game, and we're still not even mentioning the likes of Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Elijah Mitchell, who they don't even really need to get touches. If they do need to have him in there, he is a very, very capable number two in that running back room. And Brock Purdy, like we said, it starts with Brock Purdy, it finishes with Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy came out and did exactly what you would expect Brock Purdy to do. He took care of the ball. Yes, he had a fumble, but yes, that's because of his absolutely generational talent on the other side of the ball, TJ Watt, with three sacks and two forced fumbles, recovering one on his own. Sam Fran did get the other one back. But for the most part, I mean, you know, Brock Purdy just continues to impress me in every single way, in his composure, in his poise, his decision-making, his ability to look one, two, three, four reads if necessary, if given the time to do it. And if Brock Purdy's going to keep playing like this, San Francisco is going to keep winning games plain and simple. Yeah, Eli. Um, I think Kyle Shanahan finally got his Kirk Cousins back. You know, they were together in Washington when Kyle was the OC. And Brock Purdy is just so similar. Like, he, he plays the position so well. He runs Kyle's uh, system exactly how Kyle wants it. He goes through the reads, like you said, one, two, three, four. It's quick. He processes quickly. He's under. He's got underrated mobility. You know, he can escape the pocket and extend plays with his legs. He's not really looking to run, but looking to get out there, let his receivers or tight ends get open and kind of make something happen. And I will say Kyle Shanahan just puts him in such a good uh, such a good place for success. You know, 49ers, they had a league-high 82.3% motion or shift rate this week in the Very NFL. difficult to defend against that type of motion, I Jesse. I mean, when, when you're motioning like that on offense and you have players moving, it just disrupts the communication on the defense. You know, it just, you guys got, the defense has to communicate through everything and it just kind of makes things a little bit harder when you have constant players moving. And I just think that it, that just, it, it, that's one of the main reasons why there's so many 49ers players running open. And another, I know you already gave him a shout out, but yeah, Brandon Ayuk, He's going to get paid after this season. He's showing that he's one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, Just wanted to give him a shout-out, too. And I also want to add on, this is all with Nick Bosa only playing 35 snaps on defense. They're just easing this man back into action. And if this defense looks this scary with Nick Bosa playing that limited amount of snaps... um, Yeah, opposing offenses are going to want to look out. Anyone who's coming across this team is going to want to look out. And I'll tell you what, San Francisco, LA Rams, Rams coming off a massive victory against the Seattle Seahawks. That'll be a very enticing game to watch. And you're going to look for Pittsburgh to rebound against the Cleveland Browns. Monday night football, primetime, divisional matchup. It's a huge game for Pittsburgh. There was a lot of big expectations coming on them. For this season, they failed to live up in week one. But hey, it's only week one. They got a big chance to redeem themselves next week against Cleveland. You know Mike Tomlin will have those boys coming in and ready to play after a pretty embarrassing loss against San Francisco. So I'm looking forward to that game. I'm looking forward for Rams 49ers divisional game. I'm just looking forward for week two, Eli. That was a fantastic week one. A lot of exciting stories. A lot of upsets. A lot of unpredictability, and I think that's what makes this league so special, man. You said it right there, Jesse. Unpredictability is the word. You have no idea what's going to happen. I certainly did not. I was probably wrong on about 50% of the games going into week one myself. My betting card didn't look good, man. 
uh, gonna have to go to the bank and make another deposit before week two because yeah I got butchered across the board and yeah I can't wait for these week two matchups we're looking forward to it we'll be here every step of the way to break it all down for you and next up we have the gridiron gang performances of the week Eli take us home We'll do, Jesse, and for our top offensive co-performers of the week this week, we have to give a co-shoutout to Tua and Tyreek, who combined for 466 yards passing, three touchdowns, two of those going to Tyreek, 215 yards receiving. I don't think it gets much better than that, Jesse. Uh, defensive performer of the week, it was a close one. We're going to go Monday Night Football, Jordan Whitehead, Three interceptions. Don't think it gets much better than that. Jesse Bates is a shout-out. Two INTs for his debut in Atlanta. But we're going to go with Jordan Whitehead on that one. Rookie of the week, we're going to go with our boy Jalen Carter. What a massive pick this turned out to be for Philadelphia early on. He had seven pressures. He had one sack. And he was just a force to that New England front throughout the entirety of that game. And we're going to have an award for a schemer this week, coordinator. Jim Schwartz, Cleveland. I keep hitting home about this. I think he's going to bring a game-changing mentality to this unit. They got to Burrow. They held Burrow, the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL, to under 100 passing yards in Week 1. Astonishing stuff. And shock performance of the week, team performance of the week, whatever you want to call it, it's going to the L.A. Rams phenomenal week one win did it on the road did it in a hostile environment at the seattle seahawks and that's gonna wrap up our show this week you can follow us anywhere you can at apple and spotify at gridiron gang podcast if you like the content please like share review download tell your friends tell your family we love doing this stuff we love breaking down these games for you you can also follow along additional content at our TikTok and Twitter pages at Gridiron Gang Pod. That's Gridiron Gang Pod. We're going to be keeping up to date with you guys all the way through the season. We want to keep on bringing these shows to you. We want you guys to get the best content, best experience possible. And we're so happy to have us with you on this journey. Yet again, I'm Eli with my co-host, Jesse. Yeah. Signing off. We'll see you next week.